um, wonderful to uh, see you all, and of course, kia ora everyone who's um, going to be watching uh, online. Um, my name's Newt. If you don't know who I am, um, I, um, I'm, I get to lead things here at St. Augustine's, and it's actually a really, it's a wonderful privilege to be with you all as we uh, kick off the year. Now, one of the things about St. Augustine's is that we, um, we want to kind of organize our lives around one central thing. What is it? How do we have our lives shaped and molded by the person of Jesus? What we see in the person of Jesus is actually what does it really mean to truly live as a human being? What does human life actually look like? And so what we're trying to do here as a church is organize our life around that. So not only do we know kind of like 50 interesting things about Jesus, 25 interesting things about the Old Testament, and 90 different things about the New Testament, all these religious facts are absolutely wonderful. But the real money lies actually in not just knowing things, but actually in the transformation of our lives. And so what we're trying to do is not just to kind of know things about Jesus, but we're actually having our lives shaped by him so that our lives become a reflection of Jesus's life. At its heart, you see, if we're going to experience the life of Jesus, what we need to do is have our lives shaped by his lifestyle. There's no experience of the life without um, participating in the lifestyle. So what we do here, um, just to kind of give you a kind of public service announcement, is we often do these really long teaching series where we're not only just kind of going to dig into a big kind of topic, but the idea is not just um, teaching and great theology, which you'll get next week, um, but rather that at its heart is also we kind of engage in some practices because it's through the practices also that our lives are shaped. Teaching shapes our brain, you know, helps us give us more information. But actually transformation comes through practice by actually doing something. Human beings are quite odd creatures in the sense that if you want to change us on the inside, what you need to do is do changes from the outside. Our changes from the outside actually affects what happens on the inside. It shapes our desires. It shapes the kind of person uh, that we are. And so, I mean, this is just kind of standard psychology, really, thinking about how habits form a person. But you see it very, very carefully in the life of Jesus as well. You know, Jesus didn't just leap from the womb, a fully formed kind of, um, you know, uh, just kind of out there healing people and raising people from the dead. Actually, Jesus was, he became this certain kind of person by engaging in certain kinds of practices, solitude, silence, spending time engaging with God, learning how does it mean to walk with God and learning what it means to actually steward God's presence and power in his life for the sake of others. So in broad compass, what I'm saying is we're going to enter into, I'm giving you a little warning, we're about to jump into a big long teaching uh, series. In fact, when we thought about this series, one of the, we had two things in mind. So I'm headlining you, we're actually gonna want to headline a long practice series that is actually two parts to it. It's both, we wanna talk about generosity and we're going to do that for eight weeks. Then we're going to have a small breather. And then we're going to talk about the flip side of the coin of generosity in the Bible, which is justice. So generosity and justice are the two kind of realities. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. And one leads into the other. What you have in this very start of the Bible is a picture, of course, of a garden. A garden overflowing with goodness and kind of this 
all these amazing gifts of food, and it's just beautiful, it's amazing. It's a garden full of abundance and generosity. And so this was a picture of security, a picture of abundance, a picture of human flourishing through generosity. The, the picture that that's contrasted with very quickly in the Bible is the city of Babel. It's a city that's characterized by violence, by accumulation, and trying to seek security, peace, and abundance through violence the very opposite of justice. So in fact, while we often think about justice and generosity as slightly things off to the side, like nice twos in terms of our spiritual life, or what does it mean to follow Jesus? When you dig into the Bible, what you see is it's a thread that runs all the way through. Generosity and justice is kind of like this two-beat rhythm that's um, happening in the Bible. Now, generosity is what we're going to get into in the moment, but just to give you the hint, the idea of justice is not just retribution or payment of things done wrong. The biblical idea of justice is, in fact, shalom, the idea of actually God putting the wrong things right. And what it's at the heart of that action is, of course, God's justice. God's, oh, sorry, the heart of God's justice is actually... Um, is actually God's uh, generosity. And so in a nutshell, what we're going to be doing is unpacking over these two terms is the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3.16. So let's head to that. If we just, so what we're going to do is understand this. God so loved the world that he gave. Right at the very heart of the Bible is a sense of actually God giving. God giving not only in creation, but also God giving in the redemption of creation, putting things right. So that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Human beings are actually designed to be engaged with the spirit of God in such a way that God's eternal life flows through our lives and animates us to become eternal creatures. So it's in the person of Jesus that God is returning human beings to this reality. And that is a massive act of God's generosity. How are we going? I get 25 minutes to preach. I've used up no time because that was the intro. We're doing okay? All right, I'm gonna have a little sip. Not the communion, we'll save that for later. All right. So in terms of kicking off this series on generosity, we're gonna be looking today at the cycle of generosity, what's at the very heart of it. Then we're gonna be talking about generosity of time. We're gonna be talking about generosity in terms of um, finances. We're gonna be thinking about generosity in terms of relationships. We're gonna be thinking about uh, generosity in terms of physical resources. And we're gonna be thinking about uh, generosity in terms of how we actually listen and speak as well. So it's kind of going to be generosity in 50 different ways, but what we want to do is get right at the heart of it because it's this multifaceted diamond that lies at the very heart of Christianity. You know, the very first church was not actually known for its moral superiority. It wasn't known but have its amazing kind of theological acumen, um, good and important, all those things are. Actually, the early church was known by one thing, generosity, by its generosity. Generosity by including other people in. Generosity by including Gentiles in, people from different cultures, different languages. Hey, come on in. 
get in on this. Generosity in terms of the way that it fed the poor. It was the most unusual thing in the first century for to see this group of people who were actually looking after people, others who were not of their own cultural background, were not of their, didn't speak their same language, and looking after them as if they were family. They actually tried to outlaw it, believe it or not. It was this generosity that was absolutely amazing. You know, in the, um, when basically we got into the fourth century, um, in Rome, 10,000 people a day were being fed by the church. Absolutely massive generosity. And what was it reflecting? It was reflecting the very heart of God. God's very heart is one of uh, generosity. Right. Like I was saying, that's all intro. Let's get down to business. Um, in 1938, there was this amazing study um, uh, got off the ground by Harvard University. You know, it's all very socks up, doing it proper. It's done at Harvard. It's got to be good, right? Anyone gone to Harvard? One person, Mike. <laughs> so good. Um, so Harvard began this absolutely enormous study um, uh, looking at human development and later got termed the happiness uh, project or the happiness study. What they did is they took um, kind of around about 218-year-olds kind of new entrants into Harvard, so it was kind of the, what, what in their words, the best and the brightest um, off to Harvard. And then they actually also um, did another, did the same study with 18-year-olds um, uh, um, in um, Boston. Some of the... Um, very deprived families. Families, in fact, where there was often the case there was no uh, running water within their houses. So it's 1938 and the study begins. And what they were trying to understand is actually what is it? What are the real determining factors that leads uh, to happiness? And this study, basically, they, um, they, it was like, it's become the longest study of human development kind of ever. It's gone on for 80 years, obviously, and it's gone not only from the, the 200 participants that it started from, but their spouses and their children. And of course, it's gone much wider. Now, here's the question. What, what the findings basically came out was um, published in a book um, in January 23 last year, right? Um, and what the key determining factor, the key determining factor by, by an enormous margin for the length of life and the quality of life really came down to one single thing. It wasn't TikTok, it wasn't Facebook, it wasn't Instagram likes. Believe it or not, it's hard to believe that's true. And it wasn't income bracket, it wasn't sociological bracket, it wasn't how many houses you had, or it um, wasn't even actually nutrition, and it wasn't exercise. Anyone got a guess? Human relationships. The key determining factor for length of life and quality of life was the depth and the breadth of human connection. Connection between friends, connection between family, connection with the spouse. This actually created physiological changes in people. It also you know, it affected internal organs. It affected the, you know, the key, one of the key factors around heart disease was not actually cholesterol, although, of course, you've got to watch it, but actually the determining factor across the population was actually human relations. Another key factor were neurologically, human relationships affects the health of our brains. 
Human beings are very, very complex creatures, aren't we? How can our human relationships, the kind of connectivity, the electricity or the chemistry that happens between friends, that literally affects our physiology? It's like, and I think it's what this imports to a very, very important factor, which is we're never ourselves by ourselves. Human beings are actually reliant on life outside of ourselves to exist. That's just the reality of it. We can see this in the data. We rely on other people. We rely on other creatures. We rely on relationship. Relationship is one of the most important things that determines our life and health. We, we cannot exist by, it, by ourselves. We just literally can't do it. And I think this... this um, sociological and um, psychological truth points to a much deeper, actually, theological truth that was hinted at in John 3.16, the passage that we're going to look at. In the same way that human beings actually reliant on others to determine their health and life, and it's our relationships with them that is a key factor, so human beings are also designed to be in relationship with their creator. It's the creator's life that actually also gives us life. In fact, this is again, like if we can head back to John 3.16, this is the very reason why Jesus came into the world, to, in order to, for us to connect us to God, right? So here we go. I'm gonna talk about, in particular, I wanna talk about this word that, um, eternal life, if we can flick to that. It's the Greek word, if we can jump to that Greek word, ainon, uh, ainon. So the idea here is, this refers to actually a life that comes from heaven or a life that's come from the end of the age. So I'm gonna walk you through this. In the, in, the, in the Bible's map of reality, we've got, let's think about this mat. How does anyone ever talk about theology without a mat? You've got this mat, this is, this is earth, this is the plane upon which we exist. And then all around it is the life of heaven. It's kind of all there, it just exists in a different dimension. And what Jesus has come to do is bring, not just iPads, clearly that's part of the gospel. Jesus has come from heaven into the stage into the world of creation to bring the life of God who is in heaven into our lives, into the life of creation. Does that make sense? So the idea is that Jesus steps into our world bringing the life and light of that the life that God experiences and make that available to our lives, which is of course why Jesus dresses in black. Every good disciple dresses in black, by the way. So the idea is that, you know, it's through Jesus that gives us our own life. Now, this Jesus' life not only, um, it, it, it completely demonstrates what this life, when a human life is infused by the life of heaven, what that looks like. It's a life filled with God's goodness and grace. It's filled with God's renewing power and strength. It's actually a life that, is most perfectly displayed in the resurrection. Jesus' resurrected life, a life that is beyond death, is the pattern and the goal for every human being. 
This is what God wants for not only humanity, however, it's also what God wants for the rest of creation. When heaven is fully connected and having its life flowing into earth, what we see is renewal. What we see is resurrection. What we see is a life that is stronger than the power of death making its way known in the world. This is what God wants for everybody. This is the purpose of Jesus' coming into the world. If we, we here, we cannot get to God, the only way that we can do this is by God stepping into our world, which of course is the story of Christmas. Now, the second thing I wanna say is not only does Jesus' life demonstrate the effect of what it means to have the life of heaven basically connected to a human life, but Jesus' life and this process of doing this also reflects a pattern of life. Jesus' life reflects the whole dynamic that really lies at the very heart of God's life. In order to do that, I'm gonna quickly have a look at what happened at Jesus' baptism. So let's just have a quick look here. So at Jesus' baptism, um, as soon as he came up out of the water, the sky opened and he saw the Spirit of God coming down on him like a dove. Then a voice from heaven said, this is my own dear son and I am well pleased with him. So what we're gonna see here is that in fact, the life of God demonstrated in coming through the life of Jesus. And what we see here is actually there's God's life it actually exists as a trinity, as three members. God is like not just one um, reality. God is a single reality, but it's made up of three people. It's made up of, we can flick back. Oh, yep, no, just jump back again. Yep, thanks, mate. Um, as soon as the sky opened up, we saw the Spirit of God coming down on him. And then a, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son, and I am well pleased with him. So we get this small little kind of picture of how God's life is making its way known in the world through the life of Jesus. It's the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this gets developed early on um, in the New Testament. And while it's kind of a bit hard to think about it in your head, just think about it like this single reality of my palm, right? This is my palm, but it's made up of it's a slightly truncated palm of three fingers, three separate realities, but one single entity. Right, doing different jobs, but with one, it's kind of one reality, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so, if we can jump to the next slide, what we see developed later on, in fact, in this work of putting the wrong things right in this world, is actually the work of actually both the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And it shows us something of God's life. So God's life exists like this. The Father sends the Son into the world. And then the next slide. And then the Spirit descends on the Son and gives him life and energy to enable to do the work of the Father. Can we hit the next one? And then the Son um, glorifies the Father and also sends the Spirit into the world. And the next slide. And then the Father also sends the Spirit into the world to enable creation to become all it's intended to be, which in turn, the Spirit then glorifies the Father. What I'm trying to show here is, can you see this, like there's a cycle, there is a movement within the very life of God. 
There's a movement of generosity, a movement of honor, a movement of both giving and receiving. At the very heart of God is generosity. Generosity is the very thing that is powering the universe. Generosity is the very thing that it powers the life of God. And it's actually generosity is the very thing that forms these social bonds between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A good friend of mine, Graham Tomlin, he's a theologian, he's also a bishop, um, said this about the, the Trinity. The idea here, when he uses the word orthodox, he's meaning like the goal of good, you know, solid Christian theology. He says, the heart of orthodoxy is the generosity of God. It describes this God who constantly goes out from himself eternally in the begetting of the Son and the procession of the Spirit. Generosity, it's saying here, is not just a nice to, it's not just an add-on to God's life. It's the very thing that forms God's life. This is what, it, this is what our lives are also patented after. Our job is to reflect God into the world. Our job is to reflect the invisible God and make that visible in the world. The only way we can do that is through generosity. Generosity is absolutely key. And so it's not surprising that if God's life is made up of this generous cycle of the Father begetting the Son and sending the Spirit, that we would also be included into the life of God. The very core of Christian theology, the very heart of what Jesus came to do was not just you know, enable us to get to heaven when we die or some kind of comforting insurance policy uh, in the midst of life, so, you know, knowing that God is with us and answering our prayers. All these things are absolutely good and right. But at the very heart, what God is doing is actually drawing us into his very life, that we might participate in the very life of the Father. So if you can go to the next slide. So the idea is, in fact, Jesus steps into the world so that we would participate in this as well. The Holy Spirit's job is to actually form us in Christ. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we recognize both the power and the presence of God. And when we're doing that, we're actually participating in the life of God in heaven. But Theological orthodoxy and understanding this is not just so that we might know a few interesting facts about the Trinity. Can we hit the next slide? The heart of orthodoxy is the generosity of God. It describes, oops, go to the next slide, thanks, mate. The goal of orthodoxy is not just right belief, but generous people. That's the goal, that we would become generous people ourselves. Heading on to the next part. If we live in a world gifted to us by God, if the Spirit is the giver of life, then those gifts were never meant to rest with us. The mutual nature of human life and society means they are to be constantly in circulation, which in turn binds us more strongly to each other in love and dependence that creates harmonious lives and societies. Do you get that? Our lives, if they're not becoming more generous and not becoming more Christ-like. One of the goals of human life is to become increasingly uh, generous, to include others in. This is a, a kind of life that is actually, you know, where, again, where it's based on security and abundance 
and well-being is based on generosity. That's at the very heart of the gospel here, that we would become generous people. And in doing so, that our lives also increase too. This is the very the reason why Jesus came into the world, to not only save us from, you know, whatever, save us from our sins, go to heaven when we die. That's all true, right? But the real beginning of that is actually by forming us to become uh, generous people. And what you can see here is actually it's in the circulation of goods. It's in the circulation of gifts. So often Western culture, we've kind of thought about things as that we're going to get security, we're going to get abundance through accumulation, not through circulation, not by giving and receiving. Now, some of us are better at this than others. Some of us are really great gift givers, and that's wonderful. And some of us are really good at receiving, and that's wonderful, right? Some of us are actually terrible at giving, and we need to work on that. Some of us are terrible at receiving, and we need to work on that. Because it's actually in the circulation of giving and receiving that our lives become open and reflect uh, the very life of God. And when we do that, that's when we can begin to participate also that the life on, in the life that God is showing us in uh, the person of Jesus. Right, where are we going to go to from here? So the vision set before us is actually a vision of peace and security um, and abundance through generosity. And often we, um, you know, you can, you can see this at work, particularly in the world of finance, because, you know, the, the interesting thing is like the word currency um, actually comes from, the etymology comes from the Latin word of current. The idea is actually only has power actually in the process of circulation. Right? If you want to have more power, the money to do more work, get it circulating. Don't get it accumulating uh, into your own life. And in fact, it's kind of um, Saint Basil, who was a um, early church uh, leader, talked about this and saying, like, you know, finance, like possessions, like gifts, are like a well. And sure, a well only works when actually not only when it fills up with water, but actually when the water is given out. So it's this process of filling up and giving out that a well remains fresh and healthy. Otherwise, it just silts up and becomes nothing. And the same is true. If that is true in physical resources, you know, giftings, finances, all these kinds of things, it's actually equally true when it comes to our spiritual lives as well. So often in West, the way that we think about um, our life with God is about getting something from God, and of course it's absolutely true. And I want to show you something on this next slide about how this process of actually giving and receiving actually increases our life with God. So normally, like um, I said, normally we think about our life and you know our life with God or our kind of growth with God is primarily a relationship between me and God. And we want to develop that. And so we kind of we want to spend time with God. And we want to receive God's life more in the other direction. But the real trick is, in fact, when we share our life of God or our life with God with others. The, you know, the idea is, in fact, when we help another person, another friend, another child, a kid at Takahe, a kid in the new children's group, which I can't pronounce, and there's so many of them now, right? We began this church with two kids' groups, and now we've got six. It's out of control. 
So, you know, but when we increase a person's connection with God, when we do that out of kindness and love and out of relationship, we kind of, we connect them to God. What happens is this other flow, is that when God connects through others, if we can go to the next slide, it actually also connects our, or grows our connection with God also. Can you see, in fact, in sharing and in giving away our resources, our, what we have with God, actually multiplies the effect in our lives. So often when we feel stuck spiritually, the thing to do is to share. When we feel stuck spiritually, when we feel like in prayer ministry, I'm not really hearing from God, the very thing you should do is actually not receive prayer ministry, it's actually to give prayer ministry, right? It's in the giving of the way that we create a vacuum where we create space for God to fill. So often we feel like, gosh, does actually God really change people's lives? And we just sit around, we look at the data. You actually share your faith with another person? which is actually one of the kindest things you, you can do, and see God at work in their lives. The thing, the person who gets mostly converted in that moment is you, right? It's you who, who gets converted in that moment. Often we feel, when we feel stuck and also feel like we're not growing spiritually or our discipleship, we actually need to get involved in, in teaching kids or actually you know, um, mentoring um, young people because it's actually in the giving out that actually we, we you know, become and we receive more and more of God in our lives. Can you see that actually our life with God is actually participating in this generous flow? It's not just a one-way stream. When we think about it just this way, we actually get stuck and there's only so much growth that can happen. So one of the things I wanted to do, as I mentioned last year, is as a church, I want us to begin a journey of not just thinking about our own finances and our own kind of like, you know, resourcing, those kinds of things. Of course, they're important. But actually, how do we turn outward? How do we increasingly provide more space for, to include more people? Increasingly, how do we build further connections with those who don't know Jesus? Increasingly, how can we take the theological and spiritual resources that we have in this church and distribute it to others? Because when we do that, we actually experience more of the life of God for ourselves. Who's with me? Is this good? All right, coming to land. How much time have we got? Who knows? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got a few more minutes left. Not many, though. Generosity or a generous life actually flows from a heart of gratitude. And we need to develop that. We're not just, that's not just something that comes or develops just kind of overnight. You don't wake up in the morning and go, oh my Lord, I want to give away all this stuff, right? It's, it needs to be developed. And you might be absolutely new here. You could be a Christian for 400 years. You may not be a Christian at all. But this will still work. What we do want to do is in developing a heart of gratitude is just to, I think there's two key practices. One is, what's called the examine. And if you want to develop a heart of gratitude to become a generous person and participate more in this kind of flow that God has for us, one thing is we have to recognize the way that God has already gifted us and all the good things that God is already bringing into our lives. Often we miss it, right? Often we miss it. So one of the key things is the spiritual practice of the examine. And quite simply, it's this. Just before you go to sleep at night, you know, taking the dentures out, done whatever, you know. You um, 
just close your eyes and then kind of run a film of your day backwards. And what you're looking, what you're wanting to do is as you do this, you're going through the day, you're wanting to stop on little points where you actually felt real gratitude. You felt there was a gift placed in your life. That may be a free coffee, that might be something really nice happened at work, that might be, you know, who knows what, right? Just a little moment, a kind word said, and just thank God for that. And then you're looking, as you review the day, you're looking for moments of where you felt God was speaking to you and was present to you. And all you're doing is becoming aware of the amazing way that God has gifted your life and God has been present in your life and the generosity of God in your life. You can't give what you don't have. And so this is a wonderful practice of recognizing all the way that God has gifted us. You know, we, we, we did not create this world. We did not create this universe. So much of our lives has been given to us as a sheer gift, sheer gift, but we don't recognize this. But what the Bible is trying to do is, A, get, your, get that up on your radar. The second thing we want to do, basically, it's an individual practice. As a spiritual practice for us as a community, what we want to do is have an opportunity to feel like we are the other person, right? It's called guests who's coming to dinner. You get, we kind of like have some spaces around, um, some people are hosting dinners. People just turn up. They get it all, it's organized. It's a really exciting way to kind of like test how like socially, you know, resilient you can possibly be um, by going to a person's house and having dinner with them who you've never kind of been with before. You do it with a group of people. But it's this idea that we actually experience generosity from other people. Uh, as well. So we need to not only experience generosity from God, but we're going to experience generosity from other people as a Fano. We're going to do this together, and we're gonna, we've got plenty of time to organize that, but I'd love everyone in to be a part of guests coming to dinner. The second thing to say is that if you are over 30, that quite possibly one of the things that stops our heart from becoming generous or stunts our heart from becoming generous is actually disappointment. Disappointment in life, disappointment in relationships, disappointment in business, disappointment is one of the key things that actually puts a hole in our heart. And Jesus wants to heal that. There's disappointment is one of the key things that we just really struggle with. And our response to that, response to disappointment and hurt, is actually not to open our lives, but to shut our lives off. It's not to open our hearts for healing, it's to shut our lives off in defense. But can you see the problem of shutting your heart off, right? It's actually designed to flow. When we shut our lives off from people, when we shut our lives off from being generous, when we shut our lives off from God, actually his life doesn't flow through us and it actually can make the problem worse. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's like you don't do anything about it. What I'm suggesting is you, you do whatever it takes to get healing in your life. And Jesus wants to heal your life. Jesus wants to heal disappointment. Jesus wants to turn that into good. Jesus wants to heal those relational wounds. Jesus wants to heal wounds that have been kind of been inflicted upon your heart because of the church, which the church is like, it does that. And I'm very sorry for that. Not only by wanting to apologize, but actually what it does is it punctures our hearts and we become less generous and we become shut off to the world, we become shut off from God and to others. And it's really, it does a double damage, right? 
So Jesus wants to heal our hearts, not so that we can get back into the flow of being generous people and participate in a generous life. I am coming into the land. What we're going to do in a moment is we're going to take communion together. And in the Anglican tradition, you don't take communion, you are given communion. And it's a little act. It's a little kind of, um, I don't know, it's a little kind of um, enacted prayer that we receive life from God. We don't take life from God. And not only that, do you know who you receive life from God from? Another human being, right? Through people, God expresses his life to you. This is the very thing that we get to participate in the nourishment and participate in the life of God through sharing that with others. I want us to be people who not only take communion, but people who give communion, right? People who allow God's life to flow through them. This is at the very heart of the gospel. Jesus gave his life. Jesus wants us to give our lives for the sake of others. This is the way of resurrection. This is the way of kind of God's economy in terms of bringing health and life uh, to uh, human beings. Well done, guys. You did very well. Very good. Let's stand together. I just want to give us an opportunity. Just close your eyes for a moment. Close your eyes. And if you're up for this, just you, you might want to hold out your hands. There's an expression that says, all that I have, all that I possess is actually a gift from God. And it's a recognition of that. Your life is not your own. Your life has been gifted to you. On the one hand, God gives you his life. On the other hand, we are to extend that to others. Life is a flow. God's life is a flow, Father, Son, and Spirit, of generosity, of honor, of gratitude, of giving and receiving. Come, Holy Spirit. Awaken us to your presence now. Come, Holy Spirit, not only free us from our sin, but free us from our stuff. Where we've thought that the idea is around accumulation, help us to see it's actually in circulation. Free us up from these things. Come, Holy Spirit, help us to trust you that it's in sharing, it's in the giving and receiving of life that your life within us is multiplied, that other people's lives are multiplied. as we receive this bread and wine, this small symbol of your life through other human beings, replicate that in our lives. We want to know your presence. We want to know your goodness. We want to know the life of heaven, establishing and growing and renewing our lives today. Lord Jesus, we want to recognize that it's through your cross that heaven and earth are reconnected. The power of sin is overcome. We remember that on the night before 
um, you died, you took bread, you gave thanks to your father and you gave bread to your disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body which I'm giving for you. And when you eat this, remember me. On that same night, taking a cup of wine, you gave thanks to your father and you gave the wine to your disciples saying, drink this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you, shed for many, for the forgiveness of sin. And when you drink this, remember me. We're remembering you, Jesus. We're remembering all the good gifts you give into our lives. Fill our hearts with gratitude and joy. Just release us from anxiety, knowing that you've got it. You've got our lives. You're renewing the world. Help us to be open-handed with one another. Help us to be open-hearted to you. We take this bread and wine. We're remembering you some more this morning. Those who are going to help me with communion, please come forward.